At the end of your life, what will be your legacy? What will you leave behind for future generations? For the world, join the world messenger, Isabella Lundberg, each week as she brings you a new distinguished guest from the business, sports, or entertainment world to share their success, their struggles, and their lessons. They will share their insights into current hot topics that affect everyone. Isabella facilitates an intimate, vulnerable environment to find the true value of humanity and real leadership. Are you ready for your legacy? The legacy that matters? Hello, hello, my beautiful friends. It's Isabella LaMacure, the world messenger, and I'm inviting you for yet another epic episode of Legacy Leader Show. I have today someone that I am super excited to introduce you, and this will be epic. She's my fellow European that migrated to US, and both of us are now in the United States. That's how actually we met. But she is a mover and shaker. She's psychologist. Psychiatr- I'm sorry, psychologist um, that studies psychi- uh, psychology. Oh my God, I keep saying psychiatry from some reason. <laughs> but, uh, and- my just my time just want to turn you into a psychiatrist for some reason. But the bottom line is um, someone that is very astute in human behavior, human dynamics, and it's leveraging those expertise and something that she calls it the mind zone. She's also a keynote speaker. She's an author. She's a podcaster herself and so much more. Without further ado, let me allow it to introduce you to Anna Malikin. How are you, Anna? I'm doing very good. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And to get the record straight, she is fantastic, PhD degree, trained and educated psychologist. Okay, <laughs> record, record straight. Anna, um, thank you for joining us today. I know it's a busy, crazy time before end of the year, but I wanted to ask this year, not only highlighting powerful women like herself, but also empower others because we know that this time of the year is challenging for so many. So to be in that mindset zone and to be able to deal with everything the life throws us on top of all the changes we're seeing, it's quite challenging, isn't it? Uh, absolutely. And if I can leave an advice to everybody, please, please be gentle with yourself. Sometimes we are our worst critics and that is a great place to start to take care of ourselves. And really, if we learn to quiet our critical voices, we really are liberating a lot of energy to really be in our best mode of peak performance and doing things out there that really make a difference. And so be gentle with yourself will be my message. That is fantastic. And such a beautiful way to start because we forget to take care of ourselves. We usually take care of everything else and we put ourselves blessed, specifically women, right? The way we're trained that is historically expected from us. And it's so beautiful to hear that powerful voice from you. But how did you arrive to that? Obviously you had to go not only through study and exposure, uh, a lot of experience, a lot of trials and errors. So do you mind sharing a little bit about your journey, how all this started that brought you where you're today? And the, I always, since I can remember, since I start to reflect about life, uh, I had the drive for personal development. I remember in my teens, I was doing any program that I could do uh, uh, in school and uh, in other, even in the things organizing in my local church, 
of personal development. I was taking all the opportunities and even other programs that I could uh, do. I always had that drive of trying to understand and try to improve myself. And when I decided to study psychology and to become at the time, my first role in psychology was as, as a psychotherapist. Uh, I was very lucky to go to um, uh, a master program in Spain, Salamanca, that they really emphasized the, again, the personal development. We are as therapists at the time, but the emphasis that we are the tool there to help people to overcome really difficult challenges in their lives and mental health. Uh, and uh, we cannot add to their burden our own stuff. So it was really fundamental that we work our own stuff and uh, um, sharpen the tool that we are as much as we can in order to be able to, to have a bigger impact in the life of others. So that was... Uh, always there, the professional that I initially choose in the, the school uh, approach that I was in really emphasized that. And then when I moved here to the United States and I became a life coach and then a business coach, um, I brought all that background with me. And uh, I absolutely now working with business owners uh, in, and people in business in many levels. Um, uh, like a dear colleague of mine, um, Michael Port, always says, most business problems are personal problems in disguise. So uh, <laughs> personal development is always, I, I still have to find somebody that will not benefit uh, personally and the people around uh, through by personal development. Wow, I love it. I love it. The passion to be the best you can, continuing evolving and recognizing that we need to continue learning. But I also love the, the quote you just said, because it's so true. Every challenge that we're having, it's people related, first of all, right? It's not software, it's not machines, or it's not, you know, anybody else problem than, you know, tangibly, really, truly human problem. And uh, I would like to flip that because I said that, but now I want to flip it because yes, when we are working with organizations of any size, it's so easy to say, oh, it's the people or oh, it's the workforce, oh, it's the consumer to project, okay, there are challenges, but at the same time, we can see that, oh, this is our most amazing resource. People in all the stakeholders that we work with are our most amazing resource. We just have to learn how to tap in that potential. And in my opinion, it starts by tapping into our human potential first us, and then we can tap in other people's potential too. Brilliant. And I cannot agree more with you because every time when I sign up something, I will say, you know, what companies are not doing or that they're doing very well is um, dealing with their most important aspects of organization, which is that, you know, human resource, human capital, right? And more and more now companies are becoming aware of that. That's why they're investing so much in that development of future leaders and investing in coaching and all these other elements so that they can really support their growth. 
So with that in mind, what mm -hmm. trends do you see and how do you see, and uh, as you flip the, the script, um, how, how do you see some of the changes that are really serving organizations and businesses very well? I think people are, uh, leaders are more aware. They cannot, um, during many dec decades, they could not pay attention because even for instance, what is happening now at the moment that we are recording every if we any business magazine are speaking about the, the, the great resignation. They are uh, uh, post-COVID or post -COVID. On, in this world of the COVID-19, uh, there was the change that uh, people are more open spots at all levels than the people out there looking for uh, uh, fill that position. So this changes the dynamical a lot. Uh, so the leader in an organization, he cannot uh, just open a spot or if, even if they have people in their team that they want to keep is really a priority uh how we keep our people happy uh because as you say we want to make them thrive and the organization thrive so that uh, in many it's even in organizations that are more that this was already a priority but let's face it that priority is coming up and up in the list mm. Very, very true. And the ones that neglected investing in human capital as their biggest organizational asset. That is what I always wanted to organizations to connect to. What's your biggest asset? And anything that they say but people, that tells me where they're at, right? And the ones that recognize that their big assets are their talent, their people that are working for them and with them. And, and they did extremely well, even the most challenging times during the COVID. And as a result, they're not worried about a great resignation. And it's such a huge differentiator, isn't it? Absolutely. And at the same time, we cannot, uh, there are these cultural dynamics that are there because when there is a crisis, there is uh, a challenge uh, as humans individually and even organizations, it's so easy to go back to the old patterns, to the more primitive types of behavior uh, or things that work well in the past uh, and they are more ingrained in the organization or in the individual. So we have to be alert for that because even organizations that really value and uh, put their money where their mouth is in terms of investing in their workforce, uh, is easier to see them sometimes as the problem that they have to solve instead as the resource that they can tap into. That is that is so spot on. So with that in mind, I'm curious, Anna, uh, obviously you've been um, going through a lot of different changes yourself personally, right? And 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 you have to first of all figure it out how you tap into your own uh, you know best self, right? And because a lot of times people teach theoretically and they'd never really obtain that and you're the one of those few who actually applied all of this and now can really easily teach others to do the same so do you mind sharing a little bit about that journey and what do you see now that is fundamentally most important i as a student and then as uh, somebody in academia and professionally i 
one of the terms that will characterize me very well will be I was a workaholic. I really enjoy and I was very lucky of picking an area that I loved. So was getting myself totally into my work was not a sacrifice in any way. Uh, was a joy and I was seeing rewards of that. But that can create an interesting vicious circle there. And uh, uh, e even uh, being very lucky to have found my husband and having a family work and the workaholism of spending, working, 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 working uh, was served me well during a lot of time in my life and at the same time create bad habits. Mm. Uh, mainly when uh, uh, just hard work, when I start to get involved in more complex projects or even in my own business, uh, when just work hard was not enough. And I start to realize, and when even physically, I start with some limits of my capacity. Um, and I start to realize the importance of uh, reframing that. Uh, it's great to have a capacity to focus and do hard work. Of course, I'm not denying that for a moment, but if we see success, uh, not just as the result of hard work, but being more strategical, work smarter. Sometimes it's more important to work smarter than harder and value that because I didn't value that. I even looked down to people that were working strategically and being smart, smart in the way that they were using their skills and their strengths and then enjoying time off and, and other things. I said, oh my gosh, there was... Um, because we have that tendency of projecting. So if they, if, uh, if we have to do so hard this work, why are they to be easy for them? And that was part of my learning curve to realize that we have to find the time to strategy. Uh, we have to find the time to look for the, the easiest way is an honorable way to. And we can, uh, and if we get together with more people, and if we are strategical in the way that we use our strengths, we can achieve more, and be happier and more fulfilled in life. Wow, that is so powerful and such a powerful realization. And you were also very skilled and capable to transfer that because you had a major changes like I did, like leaving Europe and what you were able to do there, what you were able to do uh, in those early beginning here, and then how you quickly pivoted and adapted. And I love what you said in terms of the projection because sometimes it's culturally, uh, like if we're exposed to workaholic culture, that, that being more efficient or whatever other avenues is like, that doesn't necessarily fit the bill, right? It, because we mirrored what we were being told and what we're being exposed to, till we start really thinking, must be better way, must be easier way, must be smarter way, must be efficient way, and then much better way to have a life and work balance. And since like you have phenomenal grasp of, so could you mind sharing a little bit, how, how did you arrive to that and pivot it further so that others can learn and what they can possibly adjust? Um, and okay, one uh, earned advantage that I have that you refer to is the fact that 
I had moved from different. So I was born and raised in Portugal. I went to study in England. I did an exchange program in university in college years to an England English university. Then I did my master program and I stayed working a couple of years in Spain. And then I went back to Portugal, worked there, and then I came to the United States. But having that life experience uh, made me more aware that the, the things that I took from granted maybe were not as that way. I, because sometimes it, being going to a different culture and having to adapt for a different culture teaches a lot. And then when we go back to our own culture, then we see things from a different angle. The diversity is so, so important and meaningful. So I have by accident that learning in my life uh, that I think was very helpful when life uh, here in the United States in terms of the, the, the workaholism that we are speaking gave me a, a very big health challenge. Uh, I, I was diagnosed with cancer back in 2016. That changes everything around. You cannot just depend on hard work. So I, I wish that I had learned that lessons without having to have that life challenge, but that was my reality. And, and but because of those past experience, I think I was um, more able to make the best out of it and learn as much as I could for that hard experience. And then after, thank God, everything now is okay in terms of health. I feel energy. I feel strong again and all that. But gave me a different perspective and a different realization about what is my definition of success and what are the goals that I want to achieve in my life? Mm, how powerful that is. And, and they don't say without reason to learn no more about yourself, go to foreign country, expose yourself to things you've never done before, right? It's so much and, and learning power there, not only culturally, linguistically, but also about ourself, a self-discovery, right? Absolutely. Uh, there is a story that I like to tell that I think illustrates a little bit that uh, of mainly on the coming back home. I still, the first time that I was in England, uh, I was in England for more than six months before the first time that I went back to Portugal. And uh, I went back to Portugal and we were together in a family, like a Mediterranean, think about an Italian family all around the table with food. And suddenly, I was back there and I realized, oh my gosh, we are loud. We speak very loud because of spending all those months in England that everything is, is a different rhythm and a different loudness, how the people speak mainly in the get-togethers. I realized how, uh, and I never had that before because I, I was raised and lived, that was my reality. <laughs> So, so it's interesting how sometimes we have to leave other experience to go back to our own uh, basic and uh, uh, experience and to see it from a different perspective. And there is no judgment of value here. It's just that capacity of being aware and see. Mm. Wow. 
Wow, that is so powerful because I come from very warm culture for, you know, being Croatian and using hands and using all the, you know, expressions. And when we laugh and I laugh, when we talk, yeah, we're loud as well. So it's so interesting to hear that. And I remember living in Sweden was so contrary, like no much emotion and very like composed study uh, pace of speaking as well, you know, monotone as well, lower voice. So I was like, wow, how we compare to Swedes. I was like, you know, it just was just such a big, huge contrast to me and took a little bit of that extra adjustment as well. Uh, and and the, I presume that maybe you will relate with this. Uh, let me tell you another another story that I think maybe you will you relate to it. Please. Uh, um, my When I'm, I, I have a daughter now, she's 12, but she at the time, she was little. She was like four or five years old and we were in vacation in the summer in Portugal again around the table and um, and we were speaking and we were speaking about something my daughter she spoke a little bit Portuguese but not much so she was speaking in English with me and she turned to me mom why is everybody mad with each other and I said nobody's <laughs> but they are they are like arguing nobody's arguing here and I realized that even if he is speaking about something like are the carrots more Passion. orangey or orange that we speak in a very passionate way. And she was interpreting that, that we were arguing and said, no, we are just, this is just a usual lunchtime discussion. <laughs> and opinionated I, Europeans that are just expressing themselves yeah and <laughs> I, I I presume that sometimes your passion because you are extremely as um you, I the all the times that I had the, the privilege of interacting with you you are passionate about your ideas and your uh, and uh, and your life purpose and uh, I see that as a beautiful thing and I take energy out of it. And I bet there were situations in your life that people thought that they misattribute that energy to something else. Yes, so very true, depending, and that's why it's so important to read audience, isn't it? But uh, sometimes we can be labeled. And as you said, it's very often that we get into those paths when we're labeling and when we think, oh, she's too intense or she's too intimidating or she's too strong. And reality is, uh, oh, we will be always something for someone, right? Unless that someone and the circle of people that are very open-minded uh, and, and inclusive in order to be inclusive, you also have to have very well sense of yourself that your passion doesn't affect me besides just positively feeds, right? And, and bubbles my passion. Uh, and, and that we have to really understand who we have as an audience in front of us in our own circles and then how we received it, the self-awareness because um, not always it's a time for that and place, uh, but it's also very important to know what role do we play, isn't it? Uh, yeah, and personally, obviously going back to us as the tool, as the instrument that we have more control of, not taking things personally because these projections that we are speaking, the way that people read a certain situation or read the way that we behave, Yes, we have to take information from that, but we don't have to take some of the, the things are not to do with us. Yes, 
Absolutely. And that is the beauty, which I love. People meet where they we should meet always where we're at, right? And then from there, see where we can build something or, or create something or just simply interact in a healthy, good way. And you write psychologically, all the projections are usually uh, issues that we're internalizing and dealing with that we're lacking and things as a result that we need to um, change or not, I mean, if they serve us, but a lot of times they don't, and we obviously have a huge opportunity for growth. With that in mind, Anna, so we were talking about lifelong learning, personal development, leveraging your amazing psych psychology degree, and uh, interacting with people, you're definitely people person, but you're also very analytical and very strategic, and beautifully able to support some things with data. And I love to see young um, women like herself in business, uh, adding more platora to these very key elements to know, is this working? Is this helpful? Is this impacting? So do you mind sharing, how did you start adding these additional tools and techniques, uh, not only what you do, but also to help others to be able to measure and, and really know where they're at? And I think it's like we always have to do this dance between different things. Yes. Uh, we are speaking about, okay, before things, our the projection that we do in others, projection that people do in us, and then being aware of maybe patterns, things that we maybe should change, and the things that we should not take personally. There is always this dance. And... Uh, even in uh, when we have our own businesses, when we have uh, in our own professional careers, um, there is a dance between action implementation that is essential to get things happening and moment of strategy, moment of reflection. So, uh, and uh, it's not one or the other, it's how we put these things together. And I love the shape of a triangle is a shape that, because I think we have the tendency of think, seeing things in a very linear way. And I think that limits the options of change and the possibilities. So I like to use as much as I can, can the image of a triangle. And one side of the triangle, I like to see it as decide uh, for our thoughts, our thinking, our mindsets, the beliefs that we have, uh, the lenses that we use in a conscious and unconscious way of seeing the world. And it's important to do a lot of work at that level because it is really impactful, the work there. And the other side of the triangle, I like to see a little bit more left brain, the strategy, the plan, the blueprint that we have that can save us a ton of time instead of going trial and error. Why not learn from others? Why not to apply a strategy and have that more strategical kind of thinking? And then the base of the triangle implementation, because we have to be, make things happen. We have to implement is the action, is the execution. But I like to see these, the, the, because if we miss one side of the triangle, you cease to have a shape. Mm -hmm. You need the three sides. You cannot ignore and one reflects in the others. So I like to see it like that in terms of uh, even, uh, it's important to measure, even if a person is more artistic and measure is not that thing, 
but it's important to have a way of evaluate and measure things because then you can manage. That is uh, not a new principle in organizations. If we can measure, we can, um, we, we can manage it better. So we have to find creative ways of doing that, even in our own career lives and in a personal lives, how we can, but if we start to measure everything, then we can become so absorbed in the measurements and checking up out boxes that we don't have time to execute or even to strategize. And that is not a good thing that, so how can we balance those things, I think is one of the secrets and one of the learnings. I love that. And you spot on why well, a lot of projects and a lot of things in companies fail because they don't execute, they don't institute strategy and plan very well. Uh, on the other hand, you know, it's like, you, but it's working. You need to know, you need more data. And you spot on all of those things are enough of information to help us to affirm that we're doing the right things, right? That we're headed in the right direction and, and then keep doing and keep rolling. And if you don't know what is producing, what is giving us back the highest return investment or our KPS or any other standard measures that we're going after, we will always feel like we're shooting off the hip and shooting in the dark. We don't have no idea where the targets are and how we're going to hit them right so that also requires a lot of as you said not only development and execution but also self-awareness it's like oh my goodness where do i spend the most time where i'm stuck and right now seeing so many people stuck because it's like it's harder to measure the older we get a our personal development progression isn't it or uh, something that we're doing on the job but success criteria is different from what we're used to and, and that is always so important um, um, to, for instance, you as a leadership coach helping an organization, uh, or even uh, it's so important to have that outside view. Yeah. Uh, even as a person, we, we, uh, in the coaching, we say, all, every good coach will have a coach because we know that uh, we have to have that other person or team to help us to see our blind spots that we are not aware of. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I think for companies, organizations, and individuals out there, if you feel stuck, uh, like I said in the beginning, yes, be gentle with yourself. And it's okay to ask for support. It's okay that it can be the more clever thing to do is look around what is the best support that I can get to solve this challenge. Uh, so, um, I think it's part of, uh, it's one of, uh, one of the books that in coaching and the high performance is a classic is the seven habits of highly effective people of Steve Covey. Um, and for me, one of the biggest, biggest nuggets of that book uh, is the idea that, okay, we want to, okay, our goal is to be independent. When we are kids, we are dependent and we we thrive to be independent, great. But there is this something, there is an, another level above independence that is interdependence. Yes. That together we can more do more than alone. And I think we absolutely, we can transform things when we start to embrace that. And the organization know that. The organization is a group 
of people that they can do more together. But if they are fighting against each other, it's not a good thing. And sometimes you need to have, even in a team, you can put a team of A players together. That doesn't make it an A team. There are other things that have to happen there. So, and sometimes to have the coach helping to see that and to, sometimes it's just uh, being the, uh, the, the outsider observer and call attention to certain things that are happening can have an incredible transformational power. Wow, you are spot on. And, and sometimes, again, as we're adults, it's a tweaking. It's a little less than 1% or sometimes 1% percentile of, of slightly shift or adjustment that can tie all this so beautifully well together. And we're, sometimes we're used to these big leaps and bounds and strides. But in reality, sometimes we're so close that it's just not necessarily about this huge quantitative thing. It's just about that little dialing up, isn't it? Yeah, sometimes it's just learn to breathe and stay with our breath. Mm. That, and I'm sure you working with leaders, sometimes part of the work that you'll do with leaders is just help them to press the pause button for a moment and to stay in, the, in that moment of stillness before they make a decision. And sometimes it's just that, it's just, Okay, just focus on one breath at a time. Let uh, is the mindfulness is the and but the mild, mild, uh, mindfulness doesn't need to be thirty minutes meditation or thirty minutes exercise. Sometimes when it's just that, just being aware of one breath or one sensation to bring us to the present, just that clears a lot of the fog of the situation. You are spot on. So with that, Anna, obviously you're doing a lot of interesting work. You're very astute, not only what's going on with LinkedIn and then also being obviously very astute with mindfulness and the mindset shift specifically and to be in that mind zone. So do you mind giving us, for audience that is watching and listening here, little tips how to stay in mind zone, how to achieve the mind zone? Because when we're in mind zone, we are not operating from stress and anxiety, even though things can be uh, stress producing or stressful, right? We're much more owning, we're much more grounded, and as a result, much more capable, not only to assess the situation, but also to get through the situation ourselves and others. Uh, and now mind zone, I would say it's more than ever important to be in because otherwise we're lashing or we're getting angry or we're experiencing all these emotions and, and going spiraling down the spiral, right? And it's plenty of that that we see on daily basis. So if you don't mind, mind zone mindset. And it's like one of the images that I like to use and that was one of the reasons that I start my Mindset Zone podcast back in 2014. At the time, there were already a lot of talk about mindset and the importance of mindset and all of that, that I think is really great to see so many people speaking about and bring awareness to that. And at the same time, I didn't found that many places where people can have a mindset workout. Like if we want to be fit, physically what we do we start walking we start a physical exercise we start to go to the gym 
but for the mindset, there is not uh, uh, that kind of places. Okay, we have the meditation, but I was wanting to have uh, to provide experiences that allow people to have a marks um, a mindset workout, so to speak, to see things from different perspectives, to think about the concept that most people saw from a, one angle. And by deconstructing it and putting it back together, we can see it from a different perspective. So to create that flexibility, uh, and really the goal is to amplify the, the, the feel of possibilities. So that is something that I'm passionate about, helping people. Uh, and nowadays we start to listen to more the uh, mental fitness, help people to be more mentally fit, more mental resilience, but that all we have now more than ever more tools to help us and to help other people on that. With all that in these last decades, we have learned in positive psychology, neuropsychology, uh, social psychology, um, uh, high performance sciences, uh, all that we can translate for the, uh, the, uh, the learnings from the the philosophies of centuries in the East and in the West. We can bring all that together nowadays in a way that if you want, you really can optimize yourself. And starting with your working your mindset, I think it's, it's and mainly at professional level, going back to the leaders. Mm. Here in the United States, my husband loves football. And so we see a little bit of football uh, on the weekends. And I have learned a lot about football and the importance of the quarterback and all of that in, in the game. But there is no coach. First of all, any professional, foot, uh, professional team have a coach that is very well paid. They know the importance of or a team of coaches. Let me back to the American football they have, it's not, they have the main coach and the team, the offensive coach, the defensive coach. They have a lot of coaches, a coaching team working there. That is a one first thing. And then the other thing, no coach or no uh, owner of uh, the, the football team will think that will, it will be a remotely good idea to send their quarterback to the field without that person being on the gym working out and in the field, working out and, and, and doing the practice and so forth. They do a lot of work in the background before on the game time they go and do their best. But yeah. we keep asking leaders to be in their A-game leading organizations. And what is their gym time? What is their practice time to be able when they are in the, the decisive situation there by throwing that ball in the right way, they are going to win the game. How can we expect, we are leaving so much chance because they don't have the, we are not using all the resources that we know that can build more resilience, build more capacity for when is the, the decisive moment they can play their best game. Wow. I loved how you immerse yourself in new analogy. 
and sports analogy in American football. Uh, but you spot on, we cannot expect uh, stellar results if we're not putting work. And a lot of times organizations are exactly doing that. Leadership teams are doing that. And frankly, team members are doing that. And what, uh, as they say, practice makes perfect. The more we practice, more we immerse ourselves, better we're gonna get whatever scenario it is, either in new technology, either in the way we work with people, or all those investments sooner or later will pay off. So with that in mind, I'm curious, what's the next? Uh, what is next in Anna's bucket list? I know you've been very busy, not only with your podcast, but also as a speaker, as a coach and consultant. Um, but what, what, what are you excited so much in, years, in, in New Year to come? Uh, I'm really excited. I'm creating a new keynote that is going to be focusing many of the things that we are speaking here. And the, the title of the keynote is The Happiness Fallacy. And um, is really, I want to provide an experience where people can really uncover I'm, I, I'm going to uh, seven blind spots that are preventing us to live our potential. So it's throwing light on and, and giving information to people in a way that they can understand, oh, now I get it why I do this. And now I get it how I can do different. Because it's so important is that how can we tap into, into our potential we have to have the tools and we have to have the roadmap. And that is part of what I want to do with my keynote. That is brilliant. I cannot wait to hear it. I cannot wait to see how is all that unfolding, but uh, very catchy name as well. So that was really something that intrigued me. And I'm glad you answered that. Uh, but with everything you've done so far, and obviously your mother, your wife, you are business woman, business owner, uh, you constantly grow and evolving and all these other titles. What would you like to be remembered by? What would your legacy to be? Hmm. Um, a person that uh, try hard and don't give up the persistence. I, I, I think it's something that my daughter sometimes already reflect about me. Mom doesn't give up. Uh, and um, and uh, I think we can live this a better wo world. That uh, I, I absolutely believe that we have the capacity to live a better world to our kids. And that if uh, my kids uh, remember me as she made life better to other people, that is the legacy that I want to be rem uh, reminded for. Oh, that is so beautifully and so powerfully stated and, and you already are doing that. So uh, definitely on fast forward trajectory for that to also multiply and snowball because sometimes again, as we mentioned, we don't see how much we're creating ripple effects, but when we start looking and, and over time seeing the compound results, it, it's just definitely life worth living, isn't it? Absolutely. And in closing, Anna, do you have any other remarks that you'd like to leave the audience on the Legacy Leader Show with? Because you share so beautifully how many elements and path forward, how they can also get into their mind zone, why it's important, but also 
uh, how powerful we are that we can tap with our growth and learning and basically achieve anything. And you're a perfect example of that. So any other golden nuggets, you'd like to leave them with that so that they're actionable, easy to implement and memorable. Um, pick any way that you enjoy to keep learning. Uh, reading a books, listen to books in Audible, uh, listen to webinars, uh, read poetry, go for a walk in nature. There is not one size fits all, but do whatever or going to a, a, a new class, learning how to paint, how to score, whatever it is, exercise your learning muscle. Because I think that is a fundamental thing for all of us to keep building a better world. That is fantastic. Such a great message. It was absolute pleasure and honor to have you here with us today. And I know you have, again, very busy schedule, but I'm glad you prioritize us and time with us here today. And we wish you ongoing massive success in 2022. Yes. Thank you. And thank you for having me. And a pleasure always to interact with you. Thank you for listening to Legacy Leader Show. If you enjoyed the content and had a positive experience, then please leave us a positive rating. In addition, leave us positive review whenever you are listening on whatever platform there might be. Make sure your friends and family also know about the benefit and value that we provide and what we have to offer. Cheers.